raw, uncut, and unapologetic. Welcome to Men Talking Mindfulness with your hosts, John McCaskill and Will Schneider. Here we focus on helping men and those with men in their lives solve some of life's complex challenges through understanding the practices of mindfulness and how they can help. Each episode is in an environment free of judgment and criticism with a focus on authenticity and inner peace. Let's dig in. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Men Talking Mindfulness podcast. I'm retired Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher, John McCaskill, and my co-host over there on the other side of the screen is renowned New York City yoga and mindfulness teacher, Will Schneider. Today, we are honored to welcome back a distinguished guest who's no stranger to our community, Elaine Smokler. Elaine is a multifaceted expert with an extensive repertoire, including her roles as registered psychotherapist, certified mindfulness teacher, life balance coach, and an inspirational keynote speaker. She's not just a teacher and a writer, but also a singer and a comedic performer who brings a breath of fresh air to the mindfulness world. With over two decades of experience, Elaine has pioneered a range of lively and unique programs through the University of Toronto School of Continuing Studies. These engaging programs such as Mindful Martinis, Breathe In and Laugh Out, and her acclaimed online course, A Mindful Way Through the Creative Process, have made waves and garnered a dedicated following. Elaine's connection to mindfulness isn't just an academic or professional isn't just as an academic or professional, it's deeply personal. She's worked closely with those navigating through the realms of loss, grief, and stress, offering wellness programs to the staff, doctors, and parents at the hospital for sick children. Her commitment extends to being an esteemed instructor in the University of Toronto Medical School, where she provides clinical programs like mindfulness-based cognitive therapy and stress management initiatives for numerous employee assistance programs. As the voice behind the Inner Wisdom column at Mindful Magazine, a platform with readership of over 750,000 monthly users, Elaine touches on topics that resonate with many. It was through her insightful writings that we discovered her and learned about the transformative potential of mindfulness in healing the broken heart, which was our original episode with Elaine. Today, we're covering another challenging but very important topic with Elaine, mindfully preparing for the end of life for ourselves and our loved ones. It'll be a conversation of depth, reflection, and hope. And we truly are grateful to have Elaine with us to explore this terrain. Before we dive into this important discussion, I'm going to turn it over to Will for some announcements. Hey, uh, great to be back for another episode. Elaine, thank you for being with us here today. Uh, just our merch store, everybody. Uh, get your Men Talking Mindfulness merch by going to mentalkingmindfulness.com slash shop. Uh, thank you for, for supporting the show and following us on social media. Anywhere social media is, you can find us at Men Talking Mindfulness. Uh, John actually has a new book out. Uh, we're <laughs> going to have our book out soon enough, but John has a That's book right. out. And if you're still, you know, um, we're still working on our joint publica- publication, uh, but check it out. John's a super short read, Unleash Inner Strength. And you can get the link by texting strength to uh, 33777. Once again, for John's book, uh, text STRENGTH to uh, 33777. 
Um, and also, hey, uh, speaking of text, uh, of texting keywords, uh, we were texting MTM to 3377. Once again, that's text MTM to 33777. And you can submit your voice memo to us and we'll be answering those questions live on the air. Uh, so those are just a couple announcements for us. I'll also give a little shameless plug as well. Every Wednesday, yeah. 6 p.m. Eastern time, I have a breath and meditation class. So you can drop in live. It's free on Insight Timer. Uh, so if you just go to Insight Timer, either the app or online, just a 30-minute breath and meditation session. Uh, it's free of charge. You want to drop a donation, I always appreciate those. Uh, but that's on Wednesdays at 6 o'clock Eastern time. So drop in. I mean, there's no shortage of practices out there. And it's nice to have a live practice because we can also interact and like kind of comment and I can answer your questions as well. Uh, we're going to dive into our grounding practice next. I'm feeling pretty grounded, guys. I don't know there how you go. Good. Yeah, I don't know what the hell's going on. I'm battling a little bit of a cold over here, so maybe I'm just in this uh, fatigue, you know, kind of <laughs> place or something. So, all right, so we're just going to work with a double tap breath. We're going to do five of these. It's really simple. It's two inhales, a big first inhale, really trying to drop that breath down really deep into our belly. We're gonna, and we're going to take a second inhale, little one after that, and then blow it out through the mouth like you're blowing out a candle on your happy birthday. So let's begin. Exhale all the way out. Try to get as empty as you possibly can. Really kind of feel that emptiness just for a moment. Let's take that first inhale. Pause. Second breath through the nose. Hold for a moment and let it go. And really softly relaxing, easy through that exhale. First inhale. Second. Exhale. Slower, relax, melt kind of face, jaw, shoulders. Find yourself in this space again. In. Second breath. Exhale. Good, good. You guys sound great breathing over there. Okay, two more. In. In. Slowly out. Can you feel your kind of body resting in this place a little bit more intently? Exhale on the last one. In. In. Out. And take it, take a moment and thank yourself for tuning in to Men Talking Mindfulness today and then come back, open your eyes, maybe make some of those movements and put a smile on your face because uh, we have Elaine with us today. That's right. And, uh, once Elaine again, always brings a smile to my face. She's certainly great she energy. So. And I also, <laughs> I also have to smile because uh, I don't think I've ever heard you call that the double tap breath, Will. Oh, okay. I think I've heard you call it other things. And in my old line of work, double tap <laughs> meant something way different. It meant like to put two oh. bullets, to put two bullets, two oh, rounds. Well, and well. <laughs> put so. two rounds of peace in your soul, John. There you go. That's <laughs> it. Two rounds. Bang, bang. Boom, boom. Whatever it takes. That will settle the mind. Yeah, that that yeah, will settle the mind permanently. Yeah, will and, and it will also be end of life. <laughs> end of life. Exactly. Exactly. All right. All right. That's, that's enough of that. What's well, a good way to start? Show, John. It is, talk it is. about death, right? What the hell? Yeah, yeah. Why not? So. And and we're going to talk about the the role of humor and joy in it as well. Right, um, right. And and Elaine, again, you're you're a perfect person for that. So thanks for joining us, and we're excited to get into this. 
And I know uh, before the show, I, I checked with you, uh, and I'm going to jump right in. Since since we had you on the show to talk about heartbreak and how to deal with heartbreak, um, you've dealt with a broken heart, and it's also tied to end of life. How, how are you doing? And can you tell tell the audience what what has happened since uh, the, the last episode? Sure. Well, apparently, I'm somebody who really cares deeply about research. Because only a couple of days after uh, the wonderful experience I had here with these fabulous men, my husband very unexpectedly went into the hospital and within a few weeks he died. And it all happened very, very quickly and was a shocking and profound experience. And some of it I might have time to share, but it was really it was nothing that I could possibly have planned for, even as a longtime mindfulness teacher. And that was all part of what was so fascinating. The whole journey was completely, and I had come here talking about the fact that I'm in a program that I teach called Mindfulness Informed End of Life. And yet there I was experienced mm. live and it was totally different. And then a few weeks ago, my mother also unexpectedly passed away and both of them passed away in my arms. Wow. So that was, you know, wonderful and challenging, and there's just so much to say about those experiences. But I, uh, I come to you uh, from the field, and I, I think about the work of uh, John in the battleground and his past life, and that, you know, you you look at people who've been through something, and you think, okay, that person probably knows a little bit more than somebody who's only theorizing something. So great to be here with you and thank you so much for inviting me back yeah honored to have you and, and so sorry for both of those losses yeah. and uh yeah and again definitely want to talk about mindful prep even for the unexpected right like mm -hmm. if you have an aging parent you kind of understand or expect that to eventually happen we, we all eventually die you know mm -hmm. bad news none of us get out of this alive right um yeah. but but the unexpected Sometimes we have to prepare for that unexpected death anyway and, and just be prepared for what might be coming. So thank you again for being here to, to discuss that. So um, let's, let's talk about how one can mindfully prepare for end of life. And, and when I say end of life, I want to discuss both sides of that coin, both as the person approaching end of life and as someone preparing to grieve for the end of life of a loved one. How, how do we prepare for that mindfully? Well, first I want to take everybody off the hook and say, you kind of can't. <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about how you kind of can, but I also want to really tell everybody you kind of can't. And that's really important because one of the things that could come up if you're a high achieving person is you want to get death right mm. or you want to get the death of your loved one right and for all kinds of reasons that may or may not unfold in that way so mindfulness reminding ourselves is not a control mechanism we're not here to control our emotions we're not here to control their emotions it really is a way to learn how to be with what we cannot change and of all the things that we cannot change uh, dying is absolutely one of the things that every single being whether you are uh, a person a plant pet really any any living being is going to die and it's very shocking to our egos that this is happening. So feel free to ask some specific questions. 
Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to yeah. delve into the, the self-compassion piece, right? You mentioned mm -hmm. that we can't really prepare for this. And when, when we fail at things, quite often we beat ourselves up. And right. when we fail for preparing for end of life, again, whichever side of that coin we're on, whether it's us dying or somebody that we love who is dying, and we fail at preparing, then we start to beat ourselves up. What role does self-compassion have in all of this? Well, self-compassion has a huge role in everything because at the end of the day, there's no way to get anything in life so-called perfect. There I was at the bedside of my beloved husband of 25 years. He was the love of my life and nothing I wanted more than to 100% be there. So I want to very candidly share some of my experiences with you and then maybe some of the antidotes just so, and I share some of these with you just so that if it happens to you, you don't think it's because you're a failure. It's because you can't really 100% prepare. Yeah. I'd also been there for the death of other people and I thought, okay, this is horrible, but I could handle it. But what I noticed with um, the death of, first of all, denial comes up really quickly. They're not gonna, for both sides, you're not gonna die, we're gonna get, we're gonna get absolutely everything we can. Every person who can come and help us is gonna come and help us, we're gonna, or there, which has happened in my husband's case, he did not realize he was dying. Mm. And so we had to kind of real recognize that he, what is the act of kindness there to insist that he understand that he was dying or to wait until he was ready to come to it and then be able to have that conversation. Sure. So the self-compassion part, one of the things that I'll reveal is, uh, first of all, exhaustion comes in really quickly, depending on how your loved one is dying. Uh, in my case, it was a combination of starting off in the hospital and then thinking we were bringing him home to die a few weeks later, and then finally going into hospice. And each one of those was challenging in completely different ways. They were, uh, so the hospital offered support and pain management, home offered uh, familiarity and community support because all of my friends and came in to help sure. and, the, and the hospice is what I described to my husband as uh, to ask him if he wanted to go to the hospice ultimately was what I called the hotel spittle. So it was an opportunity to go somewhere really beautiful where where that's all they do is take care of people at that end of life. Right. But the part that I am referring to is what shocked me was when I was there facing the death of my husband, once I realized this was what hap was happening, I thought, I've been a meditation instructor for so many years and I have probably 10,000 hours of practice sitting beside someone's deathbed, just being with it, no, no problem. And instead what happened was uh, I felt like an animal that was caught in a leg hold trap and I wanted to chew my own leg off and run away. Oh, I bet. So that was, that was the first, and that was very difficult for me to accept. Like I was like, oh, that's not how I'm supposed to be. So that was just one part of the phase, but that did, I just say, share that because if there are parts of the phase where you feel, I just can't do this, I can't, I can't watch this person I love die, I, um, I can't be with this, it, it's just part of the phase. And I just share with you, it was just part of my phase, but I do wanna be honest and say it was part of the phase. And 
I couldn't understand how I had all this experience and still wanted to escape. And so it's part of just being human. We are not hardwired at this day and age for death. It's not something that most of us see around us. It's not like in the olden days where granny and grandpa died in the house with us. It's sequestered away. We don't see it. And it's and it's also feels like the end of something. Right. So I was able to allow myself to be as I was. It allowed me to relax and be with him in his process and recognize it wasn't just his process. It was our process. Yeah. Right? Uh, it wasn't just him. Right. And, and, Will, I know you've got questions, but Elaine yeah. mentioned something that's kind of got got me thinking. Um, in and it's actually related to a, a book and an author that we're going to bring on down the road, Michael Easter and the, mm. the, the uh, Comfort Crisis and his new book, Scarcity Brain. Mm. Both fantastic reads. I've started reading Scarcity Brain. Well, it's, oh, it's really cool. good. Uh, Great. Anyhow, in the, in the Comfort Crisis, he mentions how in today's modern age, most of us in the the West have done exactly what you said. We've kind of sheltered ourselves from death, comforted, comforted ourselves from the fact that death is a real thing. Like you don't see it, you don't see it like right as as often as we used to. And he talked about I forget the name of the one culture, but one culture in particular that he flew out to to visit had. When, when somebody died, they brought the body out, they let everybody see it, they let everybody mourn, they let everybody celebrate that person's life, and that particular group of people actually lived happier lives because they didn't see death hmm. as this morbid thing that can't be discussed. It's just, it was just a part of life. It's a part of the, the circle of life, right? And uh, I was wondering, in your experience, have you seen any differences in various approaches uh, for end of life uh, and how it is handled or perceived what do you mean like different like mean- like different like I know you're you're teaching this course um, have you by chance run into other cultures where death is not seen as as morbid and and maybe uh, just not not necessarily celebrated but just not seen as as badly as as we particularly perceive it in the West? Well, for sure. Um, Mm. Well, just when you look at any Eastern philosophy, particularly Buddhism, Buddhism is really all focused on, as an example, and I'm not here promoting Buddhism, I'm just saying in light of what you're asking, it's all about recognizing that death is inevitable for all of us. Um, we, you know, there are cultures that handle death in various ways. In the Irish culture, they think they do keening, you know, they wail at the end. I don't know if they still do that. But I think one of the things about being able to grapple with death is I believe it also helps you face your life much more richly. One of the challenges is if we don't think we're going to die, that's maybe part of how we got into where we are in the world today, that if we think we're going to go forever, Mm. we don't realize that we have a limited number of seconds. And to to be able to really ask ourselves, how do I want to spend my life? comes I think from recognizing that it's time limited and and you mentioned your your parents John you said they're both vegetarians I'm going to wave to you both hi 
uh, you said they're vegetarians and I was smiling to myself because I thought, right, there are people who think, well, maybe if I'm vegetarian, that, that maybe, maybe I won't die, actually. She's or not talking about you, mom and dad, just to, just to be sure. <laughs> <laughs> you won't die. Don't worry. No, you guys aren't going to die. Not to worry. Not to worry. But I'm talking about other people. <laughs> and just recognizing that um, we kind of want to bargain a lot with trying to stay alive, but but not die. Maybe I shouldn't even say stay alive, not die. Mm -hmm. And there are some cultures that have accepted. I uh, That's not my specific background to talk about the cultural differences of death. Sorry. No, it's fine. But, but I do sort of overall know from my experience and research that the various people in various times have handled death, death differently. And that's affected how we handle pain management, um, which is another really interesting thing to look at. Because in our North American society, whereas you talk about this uh, need for comfort, one of the challenges that rises up is a discomfort that we feel experiencing the suffering of another one that we love. Mm. And so potentially what ends up happening is we over medicate people before death because we think that we're trying to help them not feel pain rather than recognizing that there are some intrinsic aspects of suffering that relate to death and actually what's beautiful this sort of points to what you were saying john what's beautiful is learning how to be with what's happening just like with every part of mindfulness we're training ourselves not to avoid it but to notice and the research that show uh, i was reading about just the other day talked about how how these uh, nurses had recognized, or researchers recognized that people found death much more easily when they when they were with people who allowed them to just be their have their own experience. They oh, weren't wow. over medicated unless that's what they wanted. Right. So that's another thing that's important to know is that the dying might be the last act of freedom that any of us, you know, the last opportunity for us to decide how we want to do it and to be able to ask somebody would you be willing to let me walk with you on this process how would you like to handle the situation giving autonomy to people is really important um, we worked a lot with personal support workers in the last few weeks and I noticed that a lot of them with the best of intentions wanted to treat my husband as a baby and he was not having it he did not want to be treated as a baby and so that, you know, giving people respect and if they are able to answer the question of what do they want, how do they want to be, who do they want around them, it's really, I find it's really important to honor people's what they wish. For sure. What they wish. Well, that's a big part of self-compassion is turning towards your suffering. You know, really like being with and not turning away and not resisting or denying, you know, and, and also we, we worked last week, John, we talked about self-acceptance and, you know, the fact that it's like this is, you know, this is just the accepting what is and the more we can accept, the more we can be with and the more we can really be present to what's going on instead of kind of getting in our mind and wishing it was something different. Um, could you just, Elaine, I would love if you could maybe dive into some of the conversations that you had with your husband when you know the when you when you both realize like oh wow this is not just uh you know a um something that uh, an illness that's going to go away but something that's like it's going to put me in the ground 
um, and you're going to lose your husband. Like, so could you maybe walk us through them, some of those conversations? And maybe there was a moment where, you know, the light really went on for both of you to realize that, uh, you know, death is at your doorstep, death is at your doorstep. Thank you. That was a really interesting moment. And I learned so much about myself guy mm. going through this. So part of what came up for me at first was I perceived that my husband did not want to know that he was dying. So I did, and I had a lot of people around. So everybody had to be like, no talk about dying. It was almost like a, oh, wow. a horrible comedy show. He's in, yeah, our, right. he's in our living room in a uh, hospital bed. But when asked, what do you think is wrong with you? He said, yeah, something's wrong with my legs. I, I, and can you ask the doctor when I'm going to be better? And I was like, what? <laughs> so, so I um, fed into initially his, uh, this, this idea that he wasn't dying. So that was very challenging. And I think it's important to mention because who knows what you're going to experience when you get there. And this is one of the possibilities that that person is just like, either they don't acknowledge it or they can't acknowledge it, or it's not a kindness to them to acknowledge it. And what happened in our case, which was so wonderful, um, was a doctor came to our house and I said, don't, whatever you do, like, don't mention the war, whatever you do, don't talk about death. Don't talk about death. She said, got it. Got it. Okay. So she goes into the living room, just me and him. And she says, okay, Mr. Nemiroff, so what do you think is going on with you right now? And I was like, don't talk about death. So meanwhile, it all came out. And he said, she said, how do you feel about the fact that your cancer's returned? And he goes, oh, oh, am I, am I, am I going to die? Is that what's happening? I'm going to die. And she said, yeah, probably. And I'm sitting there trying to control everything from right. So that was really interesting. So at first, I'm trying to control everything. Then after she left, this speaks to what you just asked me about, Will. So then after she left, I was like, oh, okay, well, it's out there. And I said, he said, um, did that doctor just say that I'm going to die? And I said, um, well, well, what if what if that was what was going to happen, honey? Like, then what? And he stopped, he was lying in his bed and he paused a moment and he said to me, well, these were the 25 happiest years of my life. I want you to know that. Love it. And I, and I was so happy that I got that from him. He said, I'm okay. It's okay that I'm dying. Um, I've had a really good life. And and as I said, these have been the happiest 25 years of my life. And I, and I share that that was our entire discussion. Wow. Okay. He did not, after that, he didn't want to talk about it anymore. And after that, and again, this could happen for you. After that, he, um, it, it, uh, delirium took him. So he really, this was just kind of like a rare moment where he was able to have a mm. conversation. And that's when I also got to ask him, well, while you're here, do you want to go to the hotel spittle? Like, do you want to die at home? Or because there were lots of challenges to being at home and I, for him, for him and I. But in terms of the kinds of conversations that you could have, it's helpful to remember if this is if this is possible for you. So I'm mentioning it like this to say, look, it might not be possible for you to do what I'm going to suggest. It might be a situation where you're with somebody who doesn't want to acknowledge that they're dying or as happened with my mother, 
um, she was fine. And then she passed out and she didn't come back. And within a few hours, she was dead. And it all happened really fast. So there was no opportunity to speak to her with words. So I had to then only speak to her with my hand, holding her hand as she was in the ICU for the last 14 hours of her life. And they say hearing is the last thing to go. So um, in the case of my mother, I told her, don't worry, we're gonna take care of my father. Uh, it's okay, you're safe, you're loved, you're okay to go. And I felt it was really important for her to know that it was safe. And for my husband, even though I couldn't speak to him, I mean, I couldn't have a conversation with him, I will share that the nurses in the last night said, would you like to get into the bed with him? And I'm look, looking at me, I'm not tiny, and he, hmm. the bed is very tiny. And he, and I was like, you want this to go in there with him? And all those tubes, like, how's that going to work? And, and I mentioned this because this might be something you could ask for. It was something outrageous that never occurred to me. And for the last night, I lay kind of pressed up against the bed. I lay there, and I remembered that my that hearing is the last sense to go. My husband couldn't speak, but I remembered he told me how much he loved hearing me sing. And so I, it was just him and me in that uh, room. And so I spent a few hours just singing to him. And uh, and that. And the nurses came in and I said, please look at his face, you know, tell me if he looks like he's freaking out, like tell her to stop or get out of this bed. But <laughs> they, said, they said, no, he looks, he looks happy, he looks good. And so I got into that hospital bed with him and I sang to him. So I'm just giving you all some op options for things that you can do if actual conversations aren't possible. Other things that you can do if conversations are possible are to ask yourself whether you're the caregiver the, or the person dying, if this is my last opportunity to communicate with this person I love so dearly, what would I want them to know? And I feel fortunate that even though I didn't know my mother was about to die, I must have, like a dog, sensed it. Because in yeah. the week before her life, I asked those questions of her, like, what are and my father like what what do you like about me <laughs> you know, like those are like the ch ch uh, child questions you know but i was like in those moments i just felt that child part of me going of course what do you like about me like what do you love about me and so that from my standpoint that was one thing i also took the opportunity to tell both of them all the things that i thought that they had done such a wonderful job of in their lives that they had been wonderful uh, in their careers and that they brought so much to so many people that they were creative and smart and I made sure that I told them how much I appreciated them and all the good things that they had done. Again, just thinking if if they're just there and they don't know, to be able to leave with a sense of, okay, I did well in this life. I, I did what I could for people. So asking, is there something that you would like to know from this person? Even if you think feel kind of embarrassed to ask it's your last chance mm -hmm. and uh and my siblings have said to me that they regretted that they didn't have that chance to ask those questions or or even just be with them at the end wow so that's something definitely the uh, yeah. i don't know you. if you remember this song from the must have been the early 80s it's a, it's a song that i used to love back then it was by mike and the mechanics called in the living years Mm -hmm. and it was a, a song where the son is singing to the father and the father is gone and he's saying something to the effect of 
you know, it's, it's too late uh, when we die to admit that we don't see eye to eye. So apparently the, the singer and the father had some type of disagreement that they never reconciled on. But it's also too late when we die to ask those kinds of questions. So we've got to ask those kinds of questions, uh, make those kind of statements, maybe offer forgiveness uh, as the person on the deathbed or offer forgiveness for the person on the deathbed. There's, uh, I would imagine a lot of that comes into play as someone is, is dying. Uh, the, the desire to be forgiven or mm. the desire to forgive the person. Uh, ha- have you seen that? Have you felt that? For sure. And I, I want to speak to that and something else you said. So first of all, of course, you know, who who would not like to leave with, a you know, some lightness in their heart that they didn't right. do immense damage and this is their last chance to do anything. But, so that's why I took that time with my husband and with my mother and my father, even though he's still alive, to really make sure. So this is important. While they're alive, don't wait until that deathbed moment, by the way. This mm. is a wake-up call to realizing, well, what's stopping you from doing that now? I mean, mm. are you going to hope that you're going to get there in time? And, uh, and, it, and also, it's an opportunity to have conversations if that person's willing, and it's okay if they're not. So don't blame yourself if you're like, I thought I was going to get to have this super meaningful conversation with this person, and they're not having it. But the other thing I want to say is it's really hard to know I, I do actually think we can do work after that person is dead. And you asked about cultures. There are various mm-hmm. cultures that view those uh, days after death in various ways. And I just think even if you don't believe in anything, it heals the heart, I think, to be able to say, even if you think it's so-called too late, to be able to speak to that person, just say what it is that you want to say. You know what? I didn't get the chance to tell you this, but I really loved you. Uh, yes, we had some difficulties. Uh, as you said in that song, we didn't always see eye to eye, but when I, but now that you're not here, I just want you to know how much I appreciated you. I, I do that with my husband. I say to him, you know, all the things, wonderful things that he brought to me and how wonderful our marriage was and how fortunate I was. And I felt that, you know, I don't know if it's doing anything for him, but it's helping me. Right. But don't underestimate what you can do after the so-called death of the body hmm. in terms of healing your own heart, since self-compassion was one of the things that we that we talked about. And something that hmm. I never know if it was you, Will, who mentioned earlier or if it was John, there are people who do practices, by the way, uh, where every night or every day at some point they they picture themselves at their death. Yeah. And and so there are practices that you can do, and they might seem like, well, why would you, why would you want to do that? Because even from the chemical standpoint, can you see how it would calm the chemistry of your body if you had anything that's strange is terrifying anything that's more familiar even a dog that seems scary once you get to know it you realize oh it's just a big puppy as it bites your head off but But I, i think it's really helpful to to be curious since we are going to die well what would you know if you do yoga corpse pose is one of yeah right to be able to touch that well i've uh, actually used in workshops i've done and they're like well that's pretty morbid like after the workshop where uh, because it's i've had these meditations where uh we're asked to view our funeral 
how many people are there what are what are people saying about you right like and and it, and, and that's your legacy and uh, you know and, and if you're not living up to you know that imagination of your of like your funeral then you better get your ass going you know and then start like living up to that potential or at least start to live that life and and begin leave to, to leave that legacy because you know to really drop in and uh, it's just profound to, to just think about your your who what would people say about you at your funeral you know or, or how many people would show up like how long is the line gonna be or how short is it gonna be you know and if, and if you haven't really been a good person and you haven't really been living up to your potential, then what's going to be said? Or if you've really been, you know, um, you know taking life by the horns and, and doing the best you can and, and living up to your potential and, you know, being a good, kind, loving person and living for others and trying to make the world a better place, it's like, ah, oh, that's going to be some different conversations and different comments about, you know, who, who you are as a person. So it's like, uh, I think it's, it could be very empowering and very clarifying to know or just to imagine that and you know buddhists do this very often like they do death meditations because they're very in touch with it it's called samsara it's the cycle of you know life of, of birth life and death and it doesn't stop every like you mentioned earlier every single organism goes through this birth life and death cycle and i mean and if we don't align to that's just the way that you know things behave on this planet then you know you're in some sort of well, I don't know. So, I mean, I think a lot of people. I think the word's uh, denial. Yeah, denial, right? Or, or in deep denial that like the train's not coming for you. But the moment that you 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 come onto this, enter this planet, and take your first breath, like you're already on that road to your death in some ways. And mm-hmm. um, it's uh, it could be a great advisor. Your death in in the uh, I can't remember yeah. this one philosophy. Uh, it's in Journey to Ixlan by Carlos Castaneda, a, a book I read a long time ago. He goes, "I always keep death six feet to my left," is what he says. And I look when I need help. I advise my death on on my left and see how it can inform this moment now. And it's just like what a great guide, you know, in some ways. So instead of denying. Right, um, using the power uh, of of that uh, to create urgency potentially yeah. in your life. Yeah, the, so. um, another song. <laughs> I, I don't listen to that much music, but I, I do. I do like uh, some songs, and this one song, I'm sure you guys know it, is Tim McGraw "To Live Like You Are Dying." Mm. And in in the song, it's it's basically Tim speaking to a guy who who is notified that he's got you know 30 days left or something. Mm. And then and he, he says, well, what did you do? And the guy says, well, I went skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, and I rode a bull named Fu Manchu for eight seconds or something. So he did all these things that he had been wanting to do all his life, and he did it in the last 30 days. And the point of the song is to live like you're dying. Um, mm. Because like, like you said, Elaine, when we continually think that we're not going to die, we think that we're going to have forever to do everything, and we don't. I mean, we don't, even, even before we die, we don't have forever to do everything because others die or, or you know, we may lose <clears throat> some capabilities of our bodies and our minds right. before we ever die. So you've got to do these things that you've been wanting to do. Do them when you can. And, and kind of embrace embrace life and would you say will take it by the horns right and, and yeah. really live life so um, yeah. yeah sorry to bring another song <laughs> no, no, no. 
I think it's also important, like Will was talking about, you know, death, death comes for all of us, but actually it's also important to see that we're experiencing all kinds of deaths all the time. Mm-hmm. Where can, you know, jobs end, marriages yeah. end. Um, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. Your house burns down. Maybe, maybe oh. you, you know, maybe you moved into the country to get away from the craziness of the city, and there was a mudslide, and it wiped away your whole town, which happened in British Columbia and various places. So there's many different kinds of death experiences that we go through. That it's so helpful when we're not clinging too tightly to the way that we think things should be. And I want to speak to that Tim McGraw song a second because. Yeah. It's really, I just want to put this out there, that it's really tempting to think that life is only about doing. Like, what am I going to do? I want to, I want to, I want to travel here and I want to go there and I want to climb the mountain and I want to do this. But, sure. but at the end of the day, and yes, of course, of course, of course, live a rich life. I try to live a super rich life. And at the same time, it is really the beingness of life. Sure. That's so yeah. It really, really is. It's like, okay, I could go do something or I could be super brave and have a conversation with somebody that I don't want to have and mm. think about them. Because you, you talked about like what kind of self-compassion can we offer ourselves? And I think it's really important to recognize that as the caregiver, we could end up with the compassion, so-called, you know, empathy fatigue, really not right. compassion. Fatigue, it's really empathy where we, where we're there burning ourselves out. And so we do need to make sure that we put the oxygen mask on ourselves as well, that we care for ourselves, that we recognize when we need support, sometimes we're going to have to go home. Even if you think, oh, no, I can't go home. What happens if I'm gone? But you really have to be courageous and recognize you're not going to necessarily be there for that moment of death. And that is actually okay. It's okay. Whatever happens is okay. When we remember that we can be with each other in the spirit of mindfulness, the beautiful thing is we can hold each other in our minds and hearts. Maybe I'll, maybe you're, maybe I can't come to your bedside as my siblings could not. They were, had to get on planes. It happened so quickly. I was the one there. They couldn't come. But we could be together with that person and just hold them in our hearts be there and remember that our connection and our relationships really are what's the most i think the most important thing about our lives that's what's going to be our legacy true for most yeah. of us yeah, yeah. Well, anything uh, else uh, as far as when when that person uh, is with us that needs to be done or said and i know there's like kind of a state planning and like you know plan for the funeral and that sort of thing um, and then I like to go into, okay, when they're gone and then kind of getting into the grieving process, but like anything else bef- while, while they're still with us, that it might be my, you know, men talking mindfulness that we could be mindful of, um, that we haven't kind of talked about yet. Sure. Let's get into some practicalities. Absolutely. So yeah. first of all, um, I don't drive and the car was in my husband's name Mm -hmm. and so trying to sell the car after he was dead and he hadn't put a file together of that was really challenging just something like that a will 
a will is imperative. If you do not have a will, I don't care what age you are, you are leaving the people you love in a very, very difficult position without a will. There's all kinds of legalities that come from not having a will. So absolutely. I have, uh, uh, my father has told me that he started compiling a file for like, where is everything kept? You know, not everybody has money at the end of life, but if you are in a situation where you've got money or property or this or that, you want to make sure if you care about the people who you're leaving behind, that you leave some kind of trail of breadcrumbs for them so they know how to find stuff. Right. That's a lot to ask when you're already grieving and then you're going through thousands and thousands of pages of this and that. Um, I went with my parents to actually plan their funeral years and years before. So I had a document that I knew how to trigger, okay, who do I call, uh, if this happens, where are they going, um, how does that work? Because I want to tell you, my dears, executive function is one of the first thing that goes for some oh, of yeah. us. Like you're like, you think, and my executive function is usually excellent, but I was like, what? What? <laughs> what? Okay, I could what? see it. My, my brother said, "Where should I? Where should I? Where should I put these bagels?" I went, "Where should I put these bagels? I don't know. <laughs> how, I don't know how do I answer a question like that? Because you're like thinking, no, every question feels difficult. Mm-hmm. So, so preparing is such an act of kindness. Prepare the practical stuff. Where are the? Where's the money? How do you get to it? How? Do, what are your wishes? Um, my yeah. mother was thankfully both my mother and my husband uh ex- were able to express to me i do not want to be intubated if it comes mm-hmm. to that please do not intubate me and that was really important for both of them because we got to the end with both of them and in order to extend their life they would have had to be intubated which means sticking a tube down your yeah. throat and i talked to a doctor who had been intubated during COVID, and they said i had no idea how horrible that was until it happened to me and they came back from that so i'm just saying it's up to that person you might want to ask them do you want to be cremated do you want to be buried and Mm -hmm. then you get into the challenge of well but i want you to be buried you want to be cremated like Mm -hmm. my my husband is not was not into uh you know he was not a mindfulness practitioner he was a comedian and uh and and professor so i had to really think well what would honor him so I also, you know, a lot of comedians came and spoke at his, at his funeral. So it was totally different than a more serious and, uh, you know, somber kind of thing. But in terms of like just the practicalities, figure out what you want done with your remains. It's hard to look at, but you got to do it. Otherwise, you're leaving that to somebody else. Figure out if you want to be intubated. Figure out if you want to be resuscitated. That's right. really important to tell people because if you don't, if you don't want to be resuscitated to come back to a poor quality of life, that's important that you tell the people and prepare them for that. They may not want to hear that. Don't you want to be here with us as a vegetable, well, no matter what? Well, that person may not want that. So. It, it's really helpful to respect their wishes, but also it's helpful to prepare practical stuff so that it makes it easier for people to honor your wishes and not have to deal with so much stress mingled with grief. And and I'm glad you said that kind of no matter what age. Like in the military, one of the first things you do before you go on mm-hmm. a deployment is you prepare a will. Whether you're married or not, whether you have any stuff or not, you prepare a will. Um, it's almost a requirement. And I've had a will since I was, I don't know, 19 years old. And I've, you know, obviously updated it 
and it's it is fairly morbid going through it as a 19 year old saying oh you know i've got to prepare for my loss and and then the the military has a uh, a life insurance plan if you die on the battlefield where does the money go does it go to your parents but you get this kind of thing but i've had friends die on the battlefield die in training die in a car wreck and they didn't have a will and then they also didn't have that kind of computer file that outlines where everything is and that was one of the hardest things for the spouse and the children was how do I manage, like you said, the car thing, you know, that, that seems fairly trivial when you just say it, but when you really break it down, there's a lot to sell a car. And, and then magnify that times a house, a bank accounts, stocks, mm. bonds, everything else. And it just becomes super complicated very quickly. And that's the last thing that you want to be dealing with when you've lost that executive function. So for our <laughs> listeners, I definitely implore you to prepare that will and have a have a file somewhere that you share with somebody, not just your spouse. I have a I have an electronic file that I have shared with my spouse, but I've also shared it with my brother. Uh, hey, look, just it's called the just in case file. Like, what happens? This is this is all my bank account information. This is my password and login, and that, it's obviously a secure file, but um, it, it's it's an important one because otherwise there may be. You know, tens of dollars in an account that they don't, they don't get access to because I by no means am I rich, but but I want them to get everything that they're due. But that's another point I just wanted to pop in, which is you know, for, for all kinds of reasons, we might have separate bank accounts from one another, mm-hmm. and that becomes a big issue if your spouse cannot then legally get into. And and the same with credit cards. Mm-hmm. There are all kinds of things that surprise me. Like you've got to write a credit card company to and with a death certificate to prove to them your spouse or whoever is dead in order for them to cancel it because with issues like fraud you do want to cancel things like their credit sure. card sorry but you want to protect yourself in which case you got to think can my spouse access these things if need be yeah, mm-hmm. for sure and the, the other piece that you mentioned yes so definitely the practical but this is where i want to come kind of back to the joy and the comedy you mentioned that because your husband was a comedian, you're a comedian, you had a lot of comedians come to the funeral. What role does humor play in the preparation for end of life, again, on both sides? Um, and and then how do you feel about finding joy? I'll, I'll, I'll preface this real quick and give you maybe a second to think about your answer. I, I worked with uh, some firefighters a couple of years ago. They had lost a friend. And uh, I went to go talk with them, and there were some guys smiling and laughing, and then I would see them instantly shut their smile down and instantly shut their laugh down. And I said, hey, guys, it's, it's okay to laugh while you're sad. It's, it's, it is not offending your brother that you lost because you're laughing within a few days of losing him. And I think a lot of people feel that because they're in mourning, I don't know, what was it, the, um, the old movie, I forget what it was, but they had to dress in black and they were in mourning and one of the girls laughed and, and somebody said, or one of the maids was like, you's in mourning, you can't laugh. And, and I was like, man, that's exactly what these guys are feeling. They're in mourning and they feel that they can't have joy. So what role does humor have in it? And how can we allow ourselves to simultaneously have joy while we are in the mourning process? 
Well, I really feel the word sacredness is important here, that sacredness is something totally different to each one of us. There were members of my family who believed that to give my husband the proper funeral, that he needed to have a certain religious kind of uh, mm. positioning within that, right? Except for my husband was not of a religious bent. And so I felt, well, that's your opinion. That's not who he was. He was a person who had a lot of comedy in him. That's how we met. We met in a comedy club. His whole life was about humor. And, uh, and it was an honoring of his sacredness and his sacred path through life to honor that humor. It really was an honoring of who he really was and not trying to whitewash that to pretend that he was a different person. And so uh, humor ended up being, in, in this case, I, I, I feel like I should share the link of the, uh, of the funeral because it really was pretty... One, several people said to me that was the funniest funeral I've ever been to. And somebody else said, oh, well, when I was asked what the latest, most recent comedy experience I had, it was at my friend's funeral. Oh, Jesus. So, you know, so you might go like, what, even the owner of the chain of uh, uh, clubs called Yuck Yucks, which is in Canada, he came and spoke at my husband's funeral too. And everybody, it, it really is important to see that humor, appropriate humor, we're not talking about, we're talking about mindfulness, right? So mindfulness is always about being aware. We're not just, um, burbling out our insecurities and distresses and trying to push away discomfort with humor. But that's because mindfulness is not about pushing anything away mm. that we can't face. So humor is doesn't, it doesn't uh, need to be perceived as something that we're using to push away difficulty. It actually allows us to integrate the difficulty in a way that may be more natural to us. Um, I, I was, you could say, shocked at how able to speak i co i uh you know was emceed co emceed sounds like a weird thing to say my husband's funeral <laughs> and uh, hey thanks for coming enjoy the veal uh, oh I, I am did it with my with his son and there were people who said to me you can't do that you can't do that elaine we've talked about it and no you cannot do it i said what do you mean i can't do it and they said no your job is to sit there and receive the condolences of everybody you're supposed to sit in the front row and you're supposed to and i said well but that's not that i'm the right person to offer this for him the greatest honor i can give him is to do it the way he would want it and that serves me too but it was interesting because i felt like that movie you said that pressure from people telling me that's not how you mourn mm. that's not, that ain't how you do a funeral kid and i'm like <laughs> oh. or as i as i said in the hospice uh because everything was so shocking and new and like I, I'm light you might think ish but it was very very heavy and I kept saying to the people in the hospice well I'm learning so much for when I bury my next husband oh my gosh and they were like what that was your <laughs> so way of dealing with it yeah she's in denial I'm kidding <laughs> okay here sign this uh, so I think it's really person to person dependent. If your na nature is to relate to things in a humorous way, well, death is part of those things. It's not a disrespecting, it really is part of life. I think it's more challenging when, as you said about that movie, when we try to truncate off death as if it's a t separate, uh, no wonder we don't want to talk about it. It's over there somewhere. It's not part of our lives. Right. Rather than we loved this person, we are deeply, deeply saddened by 
by our loss that they're not here with us but we also can rejoice in the life that they lived and uh and i think it's really important to have that appreciation for the lives that we live and the lives that others live and and just honor it as it is we take care of ourselves we take care of them in their in the way that they want the best that we can um another thing i just want to pop in is i i thought that my i asked my husband do you want to hear music creativity can come in and he said no i don't want to hear music and then one of my friends came in and she didn't ask him she just put on an old folk tune that she knew he used to be involved in the folk music scene and she started singing and much to my surprise my husband who was in delirium at that point he started singing along no way and the two of them had a great time and they were like la, 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 la. and i was like watching them in the hospice and i was like i would never have thought to do that that was so great that my friend recognized that she was a physician so she had some courage to say no it's okay we can do this and uh so uh, you kind of have to just go with what shows up and trust mm. self-trust is so important you're going to want to judge yourself that's the other challenge after death you might want to say oh i could have done it oh i should have done it oh i didn't do it oh why didn't i please be kind to yourself you did the be- i'm sure you did the best that you could under the circumstances even if you weren't there love yourself love that person that's important mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. Let's get, how about, um, we go on the other side. So our loved one is gone. Um, you know, there I have here, um, there's like, there's five steps to, um, greet the grieving process, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. That's um, the Ross's version. What's that? I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm not, that's chat GPT's version, oh, oh. uh, to be honest. Uh, you know, and, and I, and I'm like, but, uh, but thank you, Elaine, for embarrassing me. No, I mean, it's I'm, only I'm one just version. Kidding. I'm saying that because it's only one version, but okay, go ahead. I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, let's go into that. Let's go into, we're laughing, right? Oh, thank you. It. This is fun, right? Uh, uh, well, let's go in the other side. So they're gone. And um, what was it like for you or, or, or the experience you had, um, you know, um, counseling people with this? It's like, you know, what are kind of the first strikes? Um, you know, um, as you as we begin to realize, like that, this my life has changed forever. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, shock is is a pretty common one. You might feel numb. You might not cry, and you might judge yourself because you think I'm supposed to be crying right now. But depending on how you relate to your own emotions, you might not cry, or it might be too overwhelming to cry. Like for my father, emotions were not his go-to place, and he found you know that just data. He was data-driven, so for him, he had to go into his head. Um, so. Shock can be one of the things that comes up. Um, denial that this has even happened or is going to happen. You have to, eventually you can come to some acceptance of what acceptance that this is what's happening, whether you want it to happen or not. Um, like all of life, things happen all the time that we may not want to have happen. But yeah. what we notice from mindfulness is that if we can accept what is even if we don't want it, even if we don't like it, it's easier on the other person. And you said after their death, it's so much easier on us and the people around us. It is what's happened. Being kind to ourselves in those moments um, might involve 
um, maybe you have some shocking behavior that even comes up after the death. So I want to ask people to forgive themselves for that. You don't know how you might, maybe you want to go out and get drunk. Maybe you want to go out and have an affair. Maybe you want to go out and do all kinds of things. And the reason I say that is you might then look back few months later and say oh my gosh where was i what how did i do that and so to be kind to yourself you've probably never been through anything like that before and the panic and the terror and the confusion causes all kinds of things to go out the window so really be kind to yourself mm. Thank were you. there other things that the anger um well, anger is an important emotion. It's okay to feel all emotions. If you can do your best to let yourself feel anger as an emotion, as an energy, as a chemistry, like to feel it, rather than getting into your story. The story might be, you know what? That doctor really screwed up and that person wouldn't have died if they hadn't have done that. You've, it's yeah. tempting to look for someone to blame and it really takes something to be able to sit with, this is just how it is. You can go ahead and look for someone to blame if you want to, but where is that gonna get you? And to yeah. what end? Why would you need to do that? Who does that serve? Always you can ask yourself, who does it serve to do any of these things? Yeah, sure. Yeah, they have. I have here bargaining. You know, during this stage, individuals might uh, attempt to make deals or bargains in an effort to change the outcome or find a way to cope with the loss. They might they might find themselves thinking, "If only," or uh, "What if?" kind of scenarios. So, I mean, that could. I guess that kind of probably aligns with denial as well. It's just well, like a, a different form of denial. Yeah. But what's important about what you just said, Will, that I think really fits in here is if if you could flash forward yourself to that if only that can be a great wake-up call to you in the living and say don't right. wait for the if only why don't you picture that person that you're fighting in that's not how you load a dishwasher <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds like that might have been an argument <laughs> that was right that was very fresh <laughs> Tupperware cannot go on them. Uh, but it's it's really helpful to to recognize that all of these things might come into play. And so what does that mean? It means that while you have the opportunity, remind yourself. That is something that I, in my practice, I'm so happy to say, I do make a, a point of telling people I love them. I make a point of telling people what I appreciate about them. I make a point of thinking to myself, what if this is the last time I ever see this person, whoever it is. Those are practices that I live every day and they do help cut through a lot of gunk and clutter in the mind around what's important. When you just say, what if I never see this person again? Will I be happy that we just had this argument? Will I think it was important? So that using that bargaining awareness while that person's alive. What would you say, um... Because depression can set in, I mean, obviously, uh, in this circumstance. What would you say to kind of, um, and I mean, obviously it's a process, but to maybe alleviate some of that depression or eventually kind of pull yourself out of, of the depression of the loss of this loved one? Uh, any kind of um, comments or things Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thank you for mentioning that because, again, as humans, low mood is always going to be part of our experience, whether it's around death or 
or any type of death of the ending of something. So one of the first things that we might want to do is just accept low mood is here. This is how it is. Um, noticing the thoughts that come up, noticing the emotions, being with, being with it. Yeah. We could also, um, so we want to be kind to it rather than saying I shouldn't be depressed. So we can, we can recognize that. We can have a little conversation. There's a practice um, that we acknowledge what's here and then let ourselves maybe, um, well, the practice actually is called the three-minute uh, responsive breathing space where the first step is notice the thoughts and emotions and body sensations that are here when you feel really low and horrible. Mm-hmm. Shift your attention in the second step to your breath, to a present moment focus, and then expand your attention out to the whole body to be able to be present to what's here with a little bit more space. It's not going to get rid of it. And coming back to depression, what I saw with what I see with my father is I also need to give him space to grieve. We're very uncomfortable with depression and dark, low mood. It's tempting to want to cheer somebody up out of it. But I know from my own experience and what I'm seeing with my dad, you can't always it's a process. So you're going to go through some dark times where you are recognizing, oh, my gosh, the landscape of my life is totally different. But then it's important to bring activity in. There's a maybe you've done it here. a pleasurable uh, activities list. It's good to do a list of all the things that make you happy. When you feel now while you're good, do a list of all the things that make you feel good and that give you a sense of accomplishment. It could be mowing the lawn. It could be loading the dishwasher. It could be anything at all. And when you notice that your mood is getting really, really low, it's helpful to reach out to somebody and say, hey, if you see me uh, not calling you anymore, can you reach out to me? It's helpful for us to recognize that we that we are going to have these feelings. We want to care for ourselves with self-compassion. And then eventually, when we're ready, find some of those pleasurable um, activities or the ones that give us a sense of accomplishment so that we move out of being sucked into that vortex as our lives. It's different for everybody. Some people might still be making breakfast for their loved one after they're dead. I know somebody told me that they were doing that and that was part of their grieving. Uh, other people, maybe they the next day they've gone and found somebody new and it takes something to judge that person and say, hey, that's, you do you, you know, that's okay. So being able to ex- always with depression, we want to accept what's here, whether we want to or not. It's not a failing. It's just part of the human experience. But in order for us to not fall into the uh, challenge of depressive relapse where we live in depression, we want to be able to recognize that also it's good to be able to look around and see that there are beautiful things in life as well. When we see, okay, I feel really, really sad today. And that's the other thing. It's going to come and go. Your grief may not come right away. You might be watching a commercial and burst into tears and go, what the heck is going on? Or you might, you never, never know what's going to set you off. And to just have a ton of space for yourself where you say, that's okay. I'm allowed to do it my way. It might take me a day, a week, a month, six months, a year, years. My dad was with my mom 66 years. It's well, probably wow. be a while before they, before he is not thinking about her every second and it's not right for me to try to crowd in and say hey let's go play volleyball right Especially he's 94. wow um you have uh i mean so what about you know you have experience in the hospital for six children like what about losing a child you know that's yeah, gotta can, can be I jump, can I yeah go for it john yeah yeah one? just um 
my my I'm going to try to make it through this one without tearing up. Um, so my my little girl who's who's now you know healthy and and strong when she was six months old she had a, a major surgery and we were at Boston Children's Hospital and Boston Children's Hospital is a fantastic hospital they make it very children friendly I'm sure uh, I'm sure the the children the hospital for sick children is similar in that they kind of make it child friendly but my, my little girl, she went through the surgery and it was very difficult to handing her over to the surgeon not knowing what could come. But we were very blessed in that she came back from that surgery healthy. I mean, she had to recover from the surgery, but we walked around that hospital for weeks and saw children that were terminal. And, mm. and we knew they were terminal and, and their parents knew they were terminal and they knew they were terminal. Um, for for like will asked how can parents prepare if if they are in a situation where they're allowed the time to prepare right like in in maybe terminal cancer or something like that for the death of their child and then if they're not allowed the time to prepare for it and it happens quickly unexpectedly how can they grieve for that well First, I want to say I don't work specifically with the children at Hospital for Sick Children, so I can tell you what I know, but that's not my area of a specific expertise. Okay. But what we do know from talking to the clinicians there is uh, the children are often, it would be different because a six-month-old, of course, but the children are often much more accepting of the situation than the adults are, like considerably. So it's one of the things that's helpful for parents, I think, to realize is, of, first of all, of course, you're going to be grieving so you have to love and accept that pain is here difficulty is here loss is here we're not trying to get rid of it that is what you're experiencing and mindfulness is about being with what is even if it's something untenable and unimaginable so being with it but also allowing yourself permission to be there with that person for whatever time you have available as i said it isn't always that easy it may you might have this idea that you're going to go and just love being by their bedside but watching somebody you love dearly die is a very painful experience for some and maybe too much for some to handle but if possible just being able to be there with them letting them give you the cues as much as possible do you want to play do you want to maybe they like to draw something maybe they would like to um, maybe if they know that this is what's happening and they have permission what is it they would like to do how would they like to spend this time what's something meaningful for them maybe they want to go skydiving who knows <laughs> but it's about allowing right we want to allow noticing that resistance is the greatest challenge the resistance which is natural who who you're not just gonna let oh okay well you're dying bye-bye we're, we're allowing for this experience that as excruciatingly painful as it is, we add to suffering when we try to resist it. And the evidence shows that when we can be with what is intolerable, it is much more easy for everyone. So being with, also focusing on what you appreciate about that person and um, 
is always helpful, right? And then holding them in your heart, maybe a, a token of some kind can be helpful, but allowing yourself the space to accept this has happened. It might be the most painful thing that has ever happened to me, but can I be with this just like everything else in my life? Can I love that I had this time with this person, even if you only had six months? Could you love that you had six months with this amazing being? And even if you're, you know, we have a lot of expectations, we expect to live a long life. And that's just not how it is for all of us. Uh, it just isn't, we don't know, even if like my, my, I remember my father had a stroke years ago, the, the person in the bed next to him was 19 years old and he'd also had a stroke and he was young and fit. So you just don't know what's gonna come for you. So being able to accept also that you probably did do your best I know that's something that's gonna come up for a lot of parents who if only I could have done something differently, if only we'd gotten here sooner, right. if only the doctor, if only the right doctor had seen my kid, if only the right nurse had handled, I, if only that nurse hadn't said that to my child, the, there's gonna be a many, many difficulties that come and to be able to hold the whole situation with love and understanding and recognition that people are doing their best, even if you don't feel they are, everybody is doing their best and it's helpful to just have appreciation for what is unbearable. Thank you for that. It's hard. It. Yeah, thank you. Well, let's uh, let's start to wrap it up. Um, I know you wanted to talk about the, the course at the University of Toronto, the Mindfulness Informed End of Life Care Certificate. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And I'll make sure that a link to take that course is included in the show notes. Wonderful. So um, a thanatologist who's a, a person who studies death named Michelle Chaban, um, we are so fortunate to have her living in Ontario, where I live, and she created through the University of Toronto, a program for clinicians, but also anybody who's going through the death, uh, the dying and death process. She created a six part year and a half program called Mindfulness Informed End of Life. And I just want to share that the six the six sections of it, and I'm one of the teachers of that, are the first one is introduction to mindfulness informed end of life care. So it just kind of gives you the overall view. And you could come and just do one of these modules. You don't have to do them all, but they are absolutely fascinating. They're taught by all kinds of different clinicians, uh, people who work with the dying, um, people who work in hospices, nurses, all kinds of people come and share their doctors. It's really brilliant. The second one is mindful reflections on attending to suffering, which needless mm -hmm. to say, because suffering is not always something we can alleviate and mindfulness is all about learning how to be with. Uh, the third one is mindfulness for compassionate end-of-life care. How do we want to end our lives? Who do we want to be with? Where do we want to be? Making a little more explicit what that could be like if we're fortunate enough to have that kind of um, authority and autonomy at that point. Um, integrating mindfulness into pain management. Another thing that, because not everybody wants the same level of being uh, medicated. Some people sure. are actually rather have to deal with their pain and be more present lucid. and potent, lucid. Yeah. Not everybody wants to be knocked out. So right. it's really important to notice that maybe it's your sensitivity to their suffering, but actually want to know what they can bear. Yeah. 
and and many different ways of handling pain management. It doesn't have to necessarily be medication. There are mindfulness is all about finding other ways anchors for our attention. So it doesn't have to go through that, but a conversation is helpful. The fifth one is integrating mindfulness into end of life counseling models, and that is for people who are counseling the dying because. All of us are floundering and it's helpful for us to have a conversation with each other about, well, how are you doing that? And how are you doing it interdisciplinarily? And, uh, and then the sixth one is practicing dying. And, uh, and that was for me, um, one of the things that came for me for the final, when I participated in the final module, I did participate in all of them, but practicing dying was, they asked after we did this little practice, well, what, what showed up for you? And I was really amazed that what showed up for me was, it's all okay. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how I would feel going through this. And I was like, oh, actually, you know what? I do feel like I'm living a good life. I, if I died right now, I feel, I, I feel like I'm happy with who I am and how I've done my life. And strangely, it's all okay. So that was helpful for me because that was freedom for me to finally face, open that monster in the closet door, you know, and go, well, how do I feel about facing my death? Maybe I'm like, no, I don't want to bother you. Please don't bother me. But instead, when I did face it, what surprised me was that it was all okay. Mm-hmm. And so now as the living, at least I... <laughs> still living. Still living. For, for those listening and couldn't see Elaine, she's just checking by like pinching herself and making sure she was alive. <laughs> that it was it's really been brought me a lot of freedom as the living to face I don't know for sure how it'll be, but to just know that I feel okay about it has given me a lot of space. And I don't, I can still have death six feet, you know, I read that book. I can still have that, have death six feet uh, to the left of me. But it's really like, hey, how you doing, buddy? Looking good. Not, not, (laughs) (laughs) but to be able to make friends, I think making friends with ourselves, making friends with death, making friends with suffering because we're not talking about lying down and taking what we can change. We're talking about anything that is not changeable, anything that's not, does not have a choice. Like, it's not like if I had only wished harder, my mother wouldn't have died. Well, I wished pretty hard, believe me. I was wishing pretty hard and I was practicing pretty darn hard at her bedside because I'd learned from my husband and I was able to be there more easily at my mother's. Oh, that's the other thing. Go and with as many dying people as you can. Mm-hmm. That's really, really helpful and will help make you more comfortable with it and actually one other thing with one of my friends who died at the end she'd lost her language skills she was originally Dutch she couldn't remember English I don't think she even knew who I was anymore in fact I'm sure she didn't and so I was panicking what do I do she's dying right here in front of me what do I do right now and I said some voice in my head said just look into her eyes with the eyes of love Maybe she won't know who I am, but everybody knows what love looks like. And it's a very Mm. wonderful experience. And so I just thought, I gotta keep me calm, offer her love, and whatever it is, she'll feel safe and know that it's okay. And I could hold her hand as she journeyed from this world to the next. So even if they don't know who you are, don't panic. Offer them the eyes of love and Mm. see that that is a beautiful way to enfold somebody in ease. No, thank you, Elaine. That's a great uh, closing remark, I feel. Um, you mentioned uh, at, before we went live about uh, leading us through a five-minute meditation on, is it on death? or, or uh, it's the five last minutes of your life. 
Okay, five. Okay, so we're all gonna die after the after you listen to this episode. So uh, just be ready, everybody. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. We've it's been not preparing this whole time. Yeah, we're preparing Michelle, for these closing five minutes. <laughs> Michelle Chaban says to everybody that she chose me to be part of her program because I put the fun back in funeral. <laughs> Thank you. Capital Thank F U N. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what you need. So this was a practice that I found was really profound and it was so with your permission I'm going to take us through this it's about five minutes and um, and I just want to say to everybody if it's too much for you if it's too overwhelming of course feel that you have the permission to stop to open your eyes to get up to turn on ABBA whatever you need to do if you want to go through this please do it might be interesting if you can't handle it can you honor yourself for managing your own window of tolerance and knowing it's okay you don't have to do anything that overwhelms you unless you really at least now eventually you won't have a choice but today you do potentially okay so this is a shall i begin please yeah okay so this is a visualization meditation that came to me from michelle chaban and um and it's a, it's a way to enhance awareness around our values, our beliefs and practices associated with dying, death, and life, something that hopefully we're all interested in engaging in. So I invite everybody to take your meditative stance, whatever that might be. It could be standing on one foot or lying down or sitting in a chair, whatever you'd like. And have the sense that you're bringing yourself home, whatever that may mean for you, that sense of bringing yourself home. So let's begin with breathing in, which potentially you're already doing or you're probably not alive. But we mean focusing on the breath, letting yourself be aware that you're breathing in, you're breathing out. Thich Nhat Hanh would say, breathing in, you know you're breathing in or I know I'm breathing in, breathing out, I know I'm breathing out. And you might want to do that a few times till you feel centered and settled, breathing in. I know I'm breathing in, breathing out, I know I'm breathing out, i.e. I'm present. And can you feel yourself being held by this beautiful earth? Deeply held and protected even if that wasn't the experience in your life, can you allow yourself that possibility now? Settling in and knowing you are safe in this moment. Having the sense that we are returning to the earth, to the elements, it's natural. It is safe for us to do this. It's a home is a welcoming place. And now if you could take your attention to a time and a place where you might contemplate where you would be for the last five minutes of your life. So do you picture yourself in your bed? Or are you in a hospital? Are you alone? Are others there with you? Can you just notice, are you grateful to be ending this time in your life and with medically assisted death available? Some people are grateful for that moment. 
or not. Maybe you're not grateful. Maybe you're tired or worn or agitated, or maybe you are at peace. Can you just imagine this very gently? Now, if you can imagine all of the elements of these last five minutes that have come together to make it the most important five minutes of your life, if you had choice, what would be necessary for you to feel seen, safe, soothed and secure, which relates to Dan Siegel's attachment theory, safe, seen, soothed, secure, what do you need? Where are you? Who's there with you? What will bring you comfort in the last five minutes of your life? Or how can you bring others comfort in these last five minutes of your life? You are feeling deeply connected to all things all beings at the same time you feel yourself transforming becoming leaving behind the familiar while still feeling connected to it all you can and maybe you do both feel connected and freed can you feel into this is it peace that this brings you or is it something else? And can that be okay, whatever it is? What is it you bring to your awareness now? What is it that arises for you in your awareness of what must be done to realize the fullness of these precious moments? What must you do now today so that these last five minutes are as you wish them to be for you and others? Is there a conversation you have to have? Is there something you must do so you can be in these last five minutes fully and well as you prepare for a transition from your skin bound body into something else? What do you imagine this something else to be? Settle into this imagining very gently. Ask yourself this question today and every day. If today were the last day of my life, what do I need to do or be? What would you do differently or what would you do to have a sense of abundance or completion in this life now while you're alive? Who would you call? Who would you apologize to? Who would you tell that you have loved them? Who would you ask forgiveness of? Who would you tell that their very being changed your life, sculpted it, made it? This, my dears, is the practice of dying. We do it now in life so that when we reach our deathbed, we have nothing left to do or be. We simply rest in the awareness that we have lived more fully, fully alive and caring with each breath. This changes how we live with ourselves and others.
perhaps take time to map out what arises for you and then implement those incremental changes over days and months and years so you prepare for your dying times and death. Thank you, Elaine. That was powerful. That was very, yeah, very deep, very profound. Yeah, John. Thank you so much for that, Elaine. And yeah, uh, definitely some thoughts, emotions uh, came up in that that I'm going to yeah. definitely write down. So thank you for that. And uh, thank you for being here today and sharing everything that you did, you know, from your professional background, but also from your personal I mean, you, you've just opened up and we really appreciate you just being open and vulnerable and authentic with us here today and with our audience. So we cannot thank you enough for for being here and for being you. So thank you for that. And uh, yeah. pick, a, pick a different topic and invite me back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no more research on this one. <laughs> Elaine's joke before before we uh, went live. I'm going to share this. I hope you're okay with it. <laughs> she said, she said, you know, that on the last episode, we talked about dealing with a broken heart and she had some personal experience with that. And then, uh, we, uh, before we wrapped up that show, you know, off the air, we said, Hey, could you come back and talk about end of life? And then she was granted with the ability to do some personal research through the loss of her husband. And now the recent loss <laughs> of her mother, and she said she wants the next episode that we bring her back on to be how to have great sex. <laughs> so she'll go out and do that research and report back. There you go. <laughs> yeah, uh, take photos and send some videos. Whoa, right, man, please. things just I'm got just really, kidding. really weird. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I had to say it. Uh, yeah, what are, you, what are you guys doing later? Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Will single. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Oh, here we go again. All right. Well, <laughs> before we get any more weird, uh, hey, thank you again, Elaine. And for our audience, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you guys. We appreciate you sharing the show. And if you did get anything out of the show and you think anybody else that tuned in will get something out of this, please share it with them. Share it with them as the podcast. Share it with them on YouTube and everywhere else. And we appreciate you all. And until next time, Take care. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you, Thank so you much. for joining us today. We hope you walk away with some new tools and insights to guide you on your life journey. New episodes are being published every week, so please join us again for some meaningful discussion. For more information, please check out mentalkingmindfulness.com.